Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Environmental sustainability is on many, many people's minds lately. I'm wondering how these trends around the green movement and taking care of Mother Nature are going to affect you and your business. So our guests today, Stephanie Van Paris and Joy Provo from the Wild Center, their executive director and a former board chair, are going to talk to us a little bit about these trends today. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thanks. Thanks Thanks for having us. First of all, Tell us, Stephanie, what is the Wild Center? And tell us about your mission and how that relates to to sustainability. So the Wild Center is an environmental education organization that is based out of Decatur. And our mission is to cultivate green spaces and inspire communities of environmental stewards. So for those of you listening who are outside the Atlanta area, Decatur is like a really close-in suburb of, of the city. To your mind, Stephanie and Joy, what are some of the trends in environmental sustainability, environmental stewardship that will touch on the CEOs who are listening to the show? Some of the trends that are in... Yeah, just some of the trends that you think are really important for the CEOs to know about. Well, I think that there is an increased consciousness in our communities of living a more green and sustainable life. So just making the choices that people are making at home For example, uh, the type of cars that they might drive, the way that they shop, where they shop, what do they buy, who are they supporting. And that really start coming into their workplace too. The way that they want to live is also the way that they want to work. So does their workplace reflect those values? Does their workplace support those values? Do they support commuting from, you know, working from home, that kind of thing on some days? Um, are there benefits that the workplace is offering that support a greener and more sustainable and healthier lifestyle? And I'm wondering if, from your perspective, being in this industry and obviously having this huge commitment to taking care of the environment, is it making a difference? You know, if you think about even at the macro level, the recent agreement that was made um, in the Obama administration around carbon emissions or people's behavior, like, you know, are we going to have a planet <laughs> in a generation? Are, are, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I definitely think uh, it's making a difference. I've definitely seen a trend over the last 15 years or 20 years that I've been involved in this field, um, just environmental education in general, organic gardening, that kind of thing. When I first started, it was perceived as a little bit weird, you know, Woo-hoo. like, why would you... Why would you grow your own food? Like, you can just go to the grocery store. And then it started popping up on magazine covers, the organic apple on the Time magazine that really started kicking it off. And um, people wanting more organic produce. And then 2008 happened where the economy was depressed. And so people really started trying to find ways that they could make their lives more sustainable and depend more on themselves. So you saw an increase in people wanting to have their own chickens in their backyard. I saw that. I was like, there's a lot of chicken poop in my neighborhood. I'm not all that excited yes. about that. And the Wild Center was so involved with that. We had two oh, classes. Oh, I have you to blame. Yes, that's right. We had symposiums. <laughs> we trained so many people. It just, that was an increase. The increase in gardening, then people were like, oh man, gardening's a little hard. 
I want to support the farmers. And so suddenly you have this increase in farmers markets all over the place. And it just started building on each other. And so as soon as you crossed that bridge, then it was like, what else can I do to Mm. make myself? Well, I think that a big part of what the Wild Center does is education. And where I've seen a big difference is the kids are taking that out into the world and into the community and bringing the community into that as well. So it really does make a difference. Mm, Great. And so as now kind of putting on your executive director, executive hat, inside of this movement that was at one point a little bit of a fringe, how do you think about growing the Wild Center? I know that you have some very exciting things that are happening this year in particular, um, opening a new location, celebrating your 20th anniversary. One of the purposes of the show is to provide insight to the CEOs around how to grow their business and be more profitable and sustainable. So in this kind of a, a weird market, how, do you, how are you looking at that? And what's your best advice for executives listening? What can you offer them? In this type of, with this movement, well, I think that, well, as far as the Wild Center is concerned, we have definitely seen growth because of the increased consciousness. So uh, more schools want to be on board. They want school gardens. And so they... I just think having just having that view that that you're looking through that how can I make my business more sustainable how is it socially conscious am I conscious of people are looking for that the generation that is coming up behind us are looking and want to support businesses that show a social ethics I guess you could say that what they're doing is not negatively impacting the environment but rather supporting it. So is does your work directly support the environment or do you in your workplace allow your employees to uh, donate to organizations through that business to support work that they believe in? So like a matching, like for example, Joy's company matches gifts. Um, and that's really important to people. Uh, does your workplace, it's just so people are looking to support businesses that agree with what they believe in. I imagine that a key part of what you do, Stephanie, is evangelizing. So what's your approach to, to, to evangelizing and, and, you know, bringing people over to your point of view? Well, I would say we live, we show by example. Mm. That's the best thing that we can That's do. a really key, really, really great point for CEOs, right? Exactly. So we we just go down, we walk your talk, walk your talk. And we have been walking it for 20 years. So I was just saying to somebody yesterday to an Emory student, 20 years old, coming over to ask us about social justice and food justice. And were we a part of that movement? So, I mean, this is, these are the kind of words that the, the generation behind us is, is food using. Justice. Food like, justice. I'm like, what is that? Environmental justice, just access to food for every, that everybody has an equal right to the, to healthy and nutritious food that where you live and who you are and what your income is should not define what kind of food you eat. Wow. And Stephanie's being a little modest here too. She she does a great job of just recognizing what people are interested in and really always talking about the mission. And she does, she empowers her employees for the garden and the board to do the same. Mm. So really it's not just Stephanie. She makes the whole organization live by mission. Mm. So... When you talk about how the organization or you as the board and the executive director walk your talk, what does that actually mean? 
Do you have a garden? You know, do you, so talk to us about what that, what that means. Well, in my personal life, I do have chickens. <laughs> I've had them for 15 years. I'm not coming to your house. Yeah, <laughs> they're nice. <laughs> uh, I have a garden. I have a, well, my degree is in horticulture. So I came into this business through that degree and my experience on nonprofit boards. So I think that, yeah, I've been bringing a cloth bag to the grocery store for many, many years. But beyond that, in the in our actual organization... Is that like the flashpoint? I forget my cloth bag in my trunk most of the time. I'm sorry, y'all. I just can't remember to bring it in the store with me. It's, it is a... <laughs> we'll, I mean, we'll get you there. Yeah, we'll get you after there. After today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such a simple thing, right? But um, even my sister-in-law, who lives in Perry, Georgia, she said... I just used to think you were so weird. <laughs> but anyway, but as far as the organization, definitely. I mean, the organization has five gardens, uh, our, the Wild Center does. And each one of those gardens has organic gardening practices and has forever. That's always been the goal of those gardens is to bring people into them and to show them how they too can take care of their landscape and the creative things that they can do with it. And then through our programming, our programming is all about environmental education, farm to school, this is how you can grow things. This is how you can connect it to what you're learning in the classroom. And so there's just this environmental ethics that just goes through everything that we do. Our organization just adopted a sustainability plan. We definitely have always talked about it, but now we have a plan in place that'll take us over the next three years of how we're going to make our organization more sustainable just in-house. Like, what do we do with our waste how do we reduce the waste that we create? Um, there's also an economic benefit when you start thinking from that view too. So that can appeal to CEOs too, is how can you be environmentally conscious, but also make an economic impact for your organization or business. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other ways, Joy, that you see the organization really living out the mission and, and walking the talk? Many of our members and the board members live on a city lot too. And so there's opportunities for you to to rent a space. They encourage CSA or community-supported agriculture um, where you can just pick up boxes of food from a local farm and just overall just being engaged in the environment. Mm. So what Joey was saying is that the, at three of our five gardens, we have community plots where people can rent them and grow their vegetables. So Joy is a plot holder at the Oakhurst Garden. Do you actually get out there and, and, and get your fingers dirty too? Yes, I do. And also, I plant wherever there's a spot of sun in my yard. So I will have tomatoes growing next to the gardenias, things like that. All right. So you can teach me how to grow collards. I've been <laughs> trying to figure that out. Oh, those are easy <laughs> by comparison to some other things. <laughs> so wonderful. And I, and I think this notion of evangelizing is so important. And from what I've heard, you, you focus on younger people um, schools, kind of the up-and-coming generation. And do you have any thoughts or approach to how you evangelize, let's say, for, you know, people who are a little bit less easy to indoctrinate? Um, but what's your approach to talking to people who may be a little bit more resistant to the message? Well, we have... Or are they just a lost cause? <laughs> no, no, no. No, you know, the thing about the many... The way that people connect to the Wild Center comes in many different ways. So we definitely have our outreach to the schools. That's a very direct outreach to the students. They, they don't really have a choice. They have to participate in our programs because their teachers and schools think it's very important that they're exposed to their garden environmental education. 
do we have other ways that people attach them or are introduced to the WOW Center? And so we have gardens and green spaces, but we also have community programs. So for example, in January, we have a seed and scion exchange coming up. This is a free event where people can come and pick up free seed and also bring seed that they've saved. That's a way for us to plug into the older. And folks are coming for the first time, learning about it for the first time, getting so excited from all walks of life. Um, Another program that we do is with the Decatur Housing Authority. We work with the adults, families, and seniors there. And we have been asked by the Housing Authority to come and provide garden and nutrition programs. And so the people that sign up for it do have a basic interest and a desire to live a healthier life. Um, And so there's just the plant sale is another one where as people are finding out that they may want to grow their own vegetables, they'll come to our plant sale, which is in April, and have, have exposure to all types of plants that they may never have heard of before. They might think there's one type of tomato. There's actually like hundreds of types of tomatoes. And so we just offer these ways and fun and creative ways for people to plug into this movement and to start finding out about how they can make their lives, how they can make change happen in their own lives. And the Wild Center also hosts a ton of very, very fun fundraising events that are very popular and sell out. And you oftentimes get get people there who've never heard of the Wild Center, and that gives us a chance to really sell the mission to them as well. Mm, Great. Well, thank you. Um, for those of you listening, we're talking to uh, Joy Provo and Stephanie Van Paris from the Wild Center. And we're talking a little bit about um, environmental sustainability and the relevance to you and your business and how you can get involved. And, you know, basically, will we have a planet in 50 years? <laughs> what we can do to make sure that we still do. I want to turn the conversation talking a little bit about your relationship and how you work with each other. And I was telling Stephanie before the show, we actually, and it's surprising that we've never had anybody bring their board member on the show with them. That might say something about CEOs' relationships to their board. But uh, I think that this is just a great topic to examine. So in the second half of the show, we normally talk about the relationship between two guests who know each other and are supporting each other in business. And, and I'm wondering, like, how do you have, like, why did you choose her? You know, all the hundred CEOs that we've had on the show before, nobody's chosen to bring their board member. So why Joy? And how, why do you think that relationship was important enough to you to bring her on the show with you, Stephanie? Well, as the executive director, so I have a full staff and they look to me and I do look to them, but they look to, they look to me for support. And so who do I look to? I look to my board chair. I look to my board for my support because they're the ones who are backing me up. They're the ones that I take the new ideas to. Um, They're the ones who have to approve the budget. And so I have to have a really good, great working relationship with my board. And uh, when Joy was my board chair, we had a very good working relationship. It was a very close one and very supportive. And how many years were you chair? 800. No, I I think it was only four. (laughs) (laughs) And Joy, from your perspective, how did you see your role in working with Stephanie and and why do you think it worked so well? Well, number one, the board really is there for governance. Um, Yeah, which is why most of the time I don't hear CEOs saying they were so supportive and I just love her and she was just so great. Like, I don't normally hear that. Well, I think part of it is the board, especially as a younger board and a younger organization, it was a working board. So we had to get our hands a little dirty and that really... No pun intended. 
Right, right. And so that's really the reason why I think there is a supportive role there. But, you know, it's important to people who are giving us money, whether it be a member giving us $25 or an organization giving us $10,000, that they know that there's a board there that's making sure the money is being used towards the mission or why why they gave the money in the first place, Mm. whatever it may be. There's also a lot of strategic planning going on. Yay, my favorite word. (laughs) Yes. So the strategic direction of the organization. So Joe and I would meet at the beginning of the year and we would think about what we would like to see accomplished by the end of the year. Like what are our goals for the board? And so I would give her some of my views of what I felt the board could focus on for the year and she we would have a conversation about it. So um, it was a working, definitely a working relationship, always with strategic thinking in place. Where do we want to get to the, by the end of the year? What are our three main goals for the year and how are we going to get there? And how are we going to share this with the board and get them behind it and get their creative ideas to be part of it? So in order for that, that's the only, that is the main reason why this organization is where it is today. Did you hear that, CEOs? Because a lot of them don't want to do the strategic planning. Did you hear her say that? Is the strategic thinking and plan behind it and the working relationship that works well between the board and the chair and the the ED. Because from the very beginning, that is the tone that has been set for this organization. Like when I first started, my I have always had great relationships with my board chairs because you have to. Otherwise, the board meetings can be very uncomfortable. (laughs) And I think Stephanie does a good job of bringing in the employees, her staff, to tell us why what they put on the strategic plan is important to them. And you really get to the or the heart of what they want from the organization. And that really makes a huge difference, you know, because we can see their passion and why it should be funded from that perspective as well. And Joy, from your perspective, how do you keep that relationship or what's your perspective on keeping that relationship collegial? Because you said, like, the first thing you said was, my job on the board is governance, right? And, and, but what Stephanie said was very supportive. And those two things don't often, often don't necessarily come together. They don't, unless you, I think that open conversation, always having that open conversation makes it a little easier. Because yes, there's sometimes where Stephanie has to take a deep breath and roll her eyes when the board says, we need to think about it or we need more information. It does happen. <laughs> but she understands that that's our role as well. And how important that is to the people who give money to the organization. Mm. And the thing about with, when Joy was the chair, what we had a, what was really good is that, and what I've always found I could do, is I would have a conversation with Joy about something, an idea, before I just plopped it down in the board meeting. And Joy, or with a group of yes, the board members. Yes, that's mm-hmm. true with the executive committee, and so, and they're very good. We have very talented people on the board who ask very hard questions. So I have these, you know, big ideas and then they start drilling in on the questions and yeah, I get frustrated, but then, but they're great questions. And so they really make me think about, all right, is this feasible? Is this financial? Is this a good financial decision? They've been with me through hard times and through great times. Um, So I, and the board, the folks that join our board are committed to what we do. So there might be a difference too between a corporate board and a and a nonprofit board. Usually the folks that join your nonprofit board are there because they believe in your mission and they believe in your end product. And so everybody's on the same page and they're all going towards the same goal, which is your mission. 
And that vetting process for the board, I think, is really important. We sit down every year when board members are rolling off and think, what are the talents that we're missing for to reach our strategic goals for the year? And really recruit people and have multiple choices for those roles to be able to choose the right person that not only fits with the mission, but with the current board members and with the staff. That's really important that we all work together in that way to really, I I think it's an important piece to meet in the strategic goal Mm -hmm. for such a small organization. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned, uh, Stephanie, and you also mentioned it, Joy, your strategic planning process, Mm -hmm. right? For the benefit of the um, CEOs listening, take us a little bit down into what that looks like, how often you do it. Is it a formal um, five-page or five-year uh, plan that you do every year. What what does your strategic planning process look like, and why do you think it works so well? It looks like a lot of spreadsheets. That's I love spreadsheets. <laughs> a lot of spreadsheets. We set out the strategic goals for each segment of the organization, both financially, um, education, community outreach, and then each of those set their mission statement and then outline task for the year, and then those committees are assigned to those, that strategic workbook sheet, and they organize what they're going to do during the year to accomplish those goals. And it's revisited every time we meet as a board. Which is not, often? Um, once a month. Mm-hmm. And not every one of the strategic plans is, it, or the segments is visited, but at least one of them. So that maybe if we have four goals for the year under the strategic plan, it would be talked about three times a year. And just having accountability to the board on, are we taking the steps? Or where do you need help? Where do we need money? Where do we, where do we need to, to meet those goals? And so, Joy, what's the time horizon that this plan looks at? Is it... Three, three years is the overall time horizon, but then we break it down to year to year what we have to do. And then it has to be revised every three years as well. So I would say if you're going to revise it every three years, you're really technically looking ahead five to six years. Mm-hmm. So one of the objections that I hear, so I'm going to make an observation, then I'm going to ask my question. So we did a survey last year. We had CEO exclusive where we asked the CEOs, like, what do you think about? And one of them was they think about strategy, but they typically think about it over the a three-month horizon. That's what everybody's thinking about. Okay, so what am I going to do over the next three months? And they think about that daily. Stephanie's frowning. I, I, but hold on a second. Um, and then, so that was like 70% of the people. And then if you went down to like five years, it was like only 10% of, the, of, of people were thinking about their five-year plan on a, you know, with the daily frequency. As we kind of, tease this out because I'm a strategist and I'm very interested and I'm invested. I'm like, why don't you want to think about it over a long time horizon, longer time horizon? Two things. So it doesn't necessarily impact their their results for this month or this quarter, which is the time, you know, like I need to bring in my money this month. You know, I need to get my sales this month. So I'm not interested in what happen, is going to happen in five years. And then the second is, well, you know, everything's going to change. You know, this is a saying that man plans and God laughs. And, you know, anything that you plan for three years out is going to blow up anyway. It's not going to be right. You know, I'll put together this beautiful spreadsheet that took, you know, 5, 10, 15 hours to to put together. And of course, the number in it's going to be wrong because my assumptions are probably not going to be correct. So with that, I am going to just ask you, why do you think that looking over the the longer time horizon, why is it working for you? And why do you think it's important? 
for those CEOs who are listening who, who just are resistant to looking at it over the longer time horizon? I, you know, to me, I equate that to my drive up here. Sure, I knew how to get to 85, but then I got to think about how to get to 400, and then I got to think about how to get here. So if I don't look all the way ahead, how am I really going to get there efficiently? And when you're a nonprofit where you're depending on money every, I mean, sometimes it's month to month, you're just like, whoa, or, you know, are we going to have enough to meet all of our obligations? And I can't imagine not looking three years ahead to get to that goal. It would make month to month or three months that much more complicated. And then that makes that next six months even more complicated. It, it, without a direction for the end goal at the end of three years, I can't even imagine planning it the three months. Go ahead, Stephanie. There may be a difference because it's a nonprofit. It's not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So our strategic plan derives our growth and programming. So when we did our strat plan, we said, all right, so we know that we want to be in six schools this year in the Atlanta public schools. Next year, we would like to double that. And in three years, we'd like to be at this number. How does that drive staff? So I had to create a, a, a three-year budget, just looking at each year. Okay, so how much is this going to cost for staffing? So I had to look ahead to see what staffing might look like uh, as far as education programming. Then I also looked at what were our goals for income. So when we're talking about membership, individual contributions, I thought, well, this, is, this has been our trend for the last seven or eight years. This is how much more we've raised each year. So let's go ahead and project that. So you, we, in our strap plan, we projected what our income would be. And that also drove what we'd be able to do on the expense side. So if our expense side dreams are bigger because of our strat goal is driving these, you know, we want to do a, um, a capital campaign or we want to put signage in every garden, you know, what are those expenses? So if those expenses is this much money, well, what does that mean on the top? That means we have to raise this much money and is that... Um, is, reasonable. Is that reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. And so we adjusted uh, some of those strat plan details based on income versus expense. But last year we had, was very successful that our strat plan drove, was that we did want signage in all of our gardens. And because we're a nonprofit, we can get grants. And so because it was in our strat plan, we actively looked for funding to support our signage. Had it not been a strat plan, we would have said, oh, yeah, we need signage. Oh, yeah, we need signage. But it would not have become a funding priority. And so that was one of our successes of our strat plan last year was that we were able to get that money. Another one was we were able to establish the partnerships we needed and the relationships we needed to expand our presence in the Atlanta public schools for 2017. And we were successful in that, too. And that's because we had a strategic plan. And that's because everybody, this board, the staff, myself, we all participated in it. We all had our, you know, in the game. And so we were all behind our goals that we had established for each one of our departments. I've definitely seen the Wild Center being able to manage growth a lot better by having that strap plan in place. Without it, it was a struggle because we were always, there's so much demand for what they did. They could never meet the demand. Now with a strategic plan in place, they're able to meet the demand or at least set expectations to the people who would like the services. So it sounds like this is new then. So you haven't been doing the strategic plan over the past 20 years. When did you start? Well, this one, this one that we have right now um, is now in its second year. So we did the planning in 2015 and before that, and that was with the Community Foundation 
grant that we had received that we were able to this this last cycle. Before that, we had a, a five-year plan that we had done and worked, the board and the staff had worked on together to put together without a consultant. Mm-hmm. And then this last one that we had, though it was driven by expertise on the board, this next one, we brought an outside consultant to help us put that To revise plan. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is great. So this is kind of your second strategic planning cycle and you can see, you can see yes. the difference. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And the other thing that I, I'm noting too is that we start off this conversation with like the, oh, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. We're going to, we're going to like, you know, save Mother Nature. Isn't that great? And then for the CEOs listening, I w- really want you to take note of the fact that like these people are like doing the hard nosed, hardcore work of like running a, an organization, right? Like no matter what your mission is or how, you know, schmooky wooky lubby dubby your mission is, like, this is what it takes to run a successful organization. Yes. And when I, f- I would say 2008 was a big learning year in 2009 and 2010, because that was a hard time for nonprofits. It was a hard time for everybody. It sure was. And so you had to really focus in on, yeah, we're nonprofit, but we're also business. We have people we pay. They're depending on us to be successful. And we also have to deliver a product that is high quality. So I think businesses understand that too, that the, the product you're delivering is high quality. Our product are our gardens, are our education programs, are our community events that we have. So we're not just showing up one day and say, oh, we'll do that for you and disappear three months later. We actually are there until we're not necessary any longer. So they get the tomato and mm-hmm. take it home. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. So that this is a great conversation. We're talking with Teresa Van Paris and Joy Provo from the Wild Center. And this last segment, we were talking about the environment and saving Mother Nature. We were talking about strategic planning and how they like are using their strategic plan to grow and do amazing things. The last question I'll ask you is tell us about some of these new and exciting things that are happening at the Wild Center this year, 20th anniversary, new location. What are some of the things that you would love for listeners to know about and be able to take advantage of? All right. So we just added the fifth garden, which is very exciting. Um, Mulberry Fields in Candler Park. So now we're up to seven acres. When I started, I didn't start 20 years ago, but when I started 13 years ago, we had 1.25 acres. So now we have another garden, which is really great. And for our 20th anniversary, our big birthday will be on Earth Day, our Earth Day celebration. So it'll be the Earth Day birthday celebration. Um, and another item that we're rolling out this year is that we really want people to come to our gardens in new and exciting ways. And so we'll have art and nature programs at each one of our sites. So that's really fun. That'll be that'll be happening in our details, of course, or on our website at wildcenter.org. So. Wonderful. Well, thank you, ladies, for a very enlightening show. It's been great to have you. Um, I'm your host, Soyini Koch. We've been talking once again with Stephanie Van Paris and Joy Provo from the Wild Center. I hope everyone has a very prosperous, productive, and very profitable week. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.